Looking for a special gift for that fag in your life? Whoa, 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 whoa. Get that friend of Armstrong and Getty some A&G merch. New for 19, our latest A&G logo tees, hoodies, and more. The Punch Violence in the Face t-shirt or the Castagat Redendo Morris tee is available. The Yo, Yo, Yo and the updated Stupid Should Hurt tee. The new Cal Unicornia state flag tee. We even brought back our classic A&G ketchup and mustard logo. Buy them now at the Armstrong and Getty Superstore. Find it at armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty. This is the best of Armstrong and Getty. So we got this note from uh, Terry, the uh, Marine Corps combat veteran, who um, says some very nice things about the show. He actually signs off saying some kind of mean stuff, um, which I don't think we've earned, given the millions of dollars that we've raised for charities and hammered on the VA to take better care of our vets and, and everything else we've done. But we all have our moments, and all is forgiven, Terry. Um, so don't worry about that. But he says... There's a high-pitched screech that's well beyond tolerable for him, and he's certain he speaks for many uh, brothers who dealt with combat, PTSD, etc. I'm super sensitive to all high-pitched noises, drives me into a horrible place, um, and you guys got the worst one, and we can't figure out what it is. I know what it is. We got a a whole bunch of text. Uh, Squawky the Eagle. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, you know Squawky what? I, the Eagle. I find that noise annoying, too, honestly. And it's always too loud. Mm. I like Squawky. I it's like a, the idea of it. It's a good bit, but I don't want to hurt people's ears. <laughs> no. No, especially not, you know, folks uh, who, who may have been defending this country and sacrificing all or nearly all and, and hate ask, it. I'll have to ask my brother about that. There are a number of things that put him on edge from uh, combat experience, but uh, yeah. I wonder we, if the high-pitched noise is one of them. Do we return Squawky to the wild? Do we fry it up for some eagle freedom tenders? Oh, what a, what a, oh, freedom tenders. Oh, boy. You see, we we have a, a bald eagle we keep chained in the control room to symbolize freedom. Yeah, Thanksgiving's a week um, away, and you got a big, giant bird. I mean, do the math. Right. Freedom tenders, freedom fries. I think we got a, we, some, we got a meal. There's something there, certainly. <laughs> um, maybe uh, make an incredibly insensitive Indian headdress out of the feathers and culturally wow. appropriate. I mean, wow. appropriate. Um, I, I would be curious to know if there are any other vets... Who are bothered by the squawky noise? Um, it's yeah. I, I mean, the the problem being Terry, and I'm addressing you personally. We would never willfully do anything that would cause you distress. On the other hand, given the you know, with all due modesty, large number of people who listen to the Armstrong and Getty Show around the country, if it's an incredibly small group of people that's bothered or offended by a thing, we can't. Eliminate everything that people are bothered by. For instance, um, my attitudes. A lot of people are bothered by that. Um, It bothers me. No, we uh, we appreciate the note. He he took the time to write it out and mail it. Um, And we appreciate the respect shown. It is uh, returned, and we will consider that matter carefully. So other and people, I say we issue a moratorium on Squawky for now. Well, other people are texting, no, the screech is the music right before the show starts. And a number of people have said that. I don't know what that no, is. I they, what yeah, is they that? Squawky. And the show intro, it kind of oh, makes it... okay. <laughs> Maybe they do mean squawking. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for the note, though. We appreciate you taking the time to reach out. Um, boy, things I want to get to today, uh, what, are the, what are the least healthy value menus out there for fast food? Can rank that. This time of year, everybody's running around and grabbing a meal here and there. Do you mean there are any that aren't? Well, they make not super. They make unhealthy. the point. They make the point that it's all not good for you. Yeah, yeah. But the least healthy, and I'll jump right to the punchline. Um, 
They say Carl's Jr.'s $5 all-star meals, which I haven't had, but... Oh, uh, wait a minute. They are all unhealthy AF. <laughs> well, it enough technical terms. What do you mean? Uh, but that's okay. Value is all right. Is it like amount of fat and number of calories and stuff? Because that's $5. The Carl's, first of all, the, this reviewer keeps saying, you get a fair amount of food for the money. We got to get away from how much food you get for the money. Right. That is not a problem for like 98% of people in America. Right. Is is getting enough food at the fast food place or the restaurant for the money. They give you more than you. I ate a burrito last night. If it was half the size from the restaurant, mm-hmm. if it was half the size, it would have been plenty. I ate the whole thing because I have no self-control. Mm. But uh, says Carl's Jr.'s $5 all-star meal, hmm, all-star meals, unhealthy AF. The Carl's Jr. $5 meal are just literally terrible for you, says this doctor. <laughs> They're meat, white flour, more meat, more white flour, sugar from the drinks, and fried potatoes. There's nothing good to say here. Mm, I do enjoy fried meat. Yeah. I'm a low-carb guy. I'm okay with the meat. Lighten up, Francis. Now all the white bread and sugar is indefensible, but, you know. I try not to tire out people with my dietary choices. Yeah, they got a lot of examples here on every one of them. I think, that, oh, that's a good one. I haven't eaten that one yet. That sounds delicious. So that's the way I'm reacting. <laughs> I'm not sure this is having the effect it's intended to. <laughs> right. That's um, poor writing. So you're going to talk later about uh, dividing the world in two between us and China? Disengage, disengaging from China economically and, and why a growing number of people, serious people, think it's a good idea. And their argument is compelling enough, you at least ought to noodle it through. The world could certainly be headed that direction, so a guy that got tortured, a Brit that got tortured by the Chinese government. I think he was a Chinese national, wasn't he, who was working for the Brits? Working for the Brits, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but he had Western connections and was a buddy of ours. Yeah, and uh, and, and, and uh, Great Britain is a very angry and uh, lecturing China, not that it'll do any good. Anyway, he was arrested and tortured. And um, it's just becoming clearer and clearer, I think, to everybody, the way they're handling the Hong Kong protesters and then that New York Times things about the the million Muslims that they got in uh, in concentration camps. South China Sea, which is an incredibly warlike policy. The world is going to divide in those military bases into two spheres. Right. <clears throat> and you're either going to be with us or with the Chinese. And they'll have their own computer operating system and kind of cell phone and everything like that. And you'll only be able to use, work on that if you're doing that if you're in that their sphere, or we'll have ours, mm-hmm. be our own currencies, our own economies. It's going to be really interesting to see. The world has not done this. Not in the modern world. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. And and I will be leaning heavily on the thoughts of one longtime uh, diplomat, business person, thinker. Um, uh, but he outlines in really interesting fashion, if you're into this sort of thing, the history of the economic interaction with the Soviet Union. How, especially when Reagan came into power, we had a starkly different view of how to end the horrors, the millions of deaths, the starvation, the oppression of communism. Europe wanted to reach out and have lots of economic ties, and surely that'll open them up and they'll become nice folks and good neighbors. And Reagan said, that ain't going to work, finally. So, uh, more on that to come. I super glued my fingers together yesterday. Oh, boy. For a very long time. Oh, boy. I think we've all done it a little to the point where we're like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. But I've never had them stay together. Oh, I have. But then always in the past, I've been able to get the fingernail polish remover, which I keep next to the super glue. Ah, smart. And, and Life the, hack, everybody. And, and in the past, it's worked fairly fast. 
But so I rolled over on my glasses yesterday and broke one of the stems off. You and rolled over on your glasses. I'd taken them off while I was sitting down. I was laying down reading, and then when uh, I got them, I, I kind of rolled over yeah. and broke yeah. them. Anyway, I broke them, and I was going to super glue them back together because they're the only glasses I've got that I can see out of. And uh, and and I didn't realize I got gl- uh, glue on my fingers, but I got glue so much glue on my fingers, my fingers were glued to my glasses like this, oh, like boy. I was holding them to make a point. You know, <laughs> the thing is, um, and I glued them on there really tight, and I poured a half a bottle of fingernail polish remover on there, and they didn't bud. Uh-oh. And they were that oh, way permanent. for three hours before I finally got it free. I actually thought I, I didn't know how long I'd have to go if I was going to have to go to the doctor. I don't know if you've ever just pulled your fingers free, but it rips the skin off in a very painful oh. way. And it takes a long time to heal, and I didn't want to do that. Did but you just so, keep reapplying more nail Well, I tried, but so Henry had finished his medical thing, and one of his rewards was we were going to go to Baskin-Robbins. The whole family went to Baskin-Robbins, me holding my glasses like this, <laughs> yes. driving with my one chocolate, hand. a very pop as you gesture like <laughs> yep. a college professor. Walking into Baskin-Robbins, trying to get my credit card out with one hand and <laughs> holding my glasses. Why don't you put glasses? your glasses on, sir? <laughs> My glasses glued to my fingers the whole time. I didn't Beautiful. know how long it would be that way, but eventually it worked its way through. So that yeah. stuff does work. It <laughs> can take a while. Well, they uh, recommend you use it for binding wounds in some situations. Actually, in surgery, they use super glue sometimes to close wounds. It's an amazing product. Oh, yeah. And it, it wears off. You, have you ever get the, like, the split at the corner of your thumbnail? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's painful. painful. It's nasty. The rest of, I always just use super glue. Put it in there. It holds it together, and by the time it wears off, the skin is healed underneath it. It's really should, uh, My son fabulous. had one of those the other day. That would have been perfect for that. Yeah. But so uh, be careful with the old super glue. You remember when I removed my own appendix back in 1993? I used super glue to close it. Fantastic. It takes a steady hand and I, uh, really advanced ninja discipline. Don't try this at home. Adhesively, uh, I've never gone past Elmer's glue. <laughs> Just to be safe? Yeah, yeah. That's probably a sensible Just precaution. the white with the cow uh-huh. on it and uh-huh. the orange top. Yeah, and yeah, like the, the Plus, the it's gallon delicious, bottle. isn't it, oh, John? Yes. <laughs> You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. New for 19. AMG merch. Our latest AMG logo tees, hoodies, and more. Buy them now at the Armstrong and Getty Superstore. Find it at armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty. This is the best of Armstrong and Getty. Now, we were talking oh about the fattest and least fat states in the Union yesterday. Turns out uh, Mississippi, sorry. It's, it's a lot of challenges. Beautiful Mississippi. I love Literacy, it. obesity. Ah, yeah. Whatever. What are you going to do? Well, you're not going to read. <laughs> you're going to lay around fat, not read. Anyway, no, fine. That's, that's not, You'd be not perfectly ev- fine. Not everybody, no, obviously. And and throughout the South, those are the fattest states. And um, among the fittest are your usual suspects: uh, Utah, uh, Colorado, California, Connecticut, as I recall. Uh, this is uh, why don't we could just say, uh, 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 Doctor uh, Doctor Ed writes. Recently, I moved from California to West Virginia. I do heart surgery, and the OR table needs to be moved to different positions during surgery. The table has a weight limit of 300 pounds, and we are often discussing, uh, often pushing the outside of the envelope in West Virginia. I returned to California briefly and was discussing the size of these patients with a nurse, nurse who's from West Virginia but now lives in California. I told her that at 5'7", 200 pounds, I've always considered myself fat. She told me there's fat, then there's California fat. Apparently, I'm the latter. Mm. So, yeah, it depends where you are. Mm. 
I mean, if you're if you're five seven, two hundred pounds in say West Virginia or Mississippi, you do not stand out. It's cultural norms. It's food. It's popular foods. I tell you what, we lived in the South for a couple of years, and and oh my God, I just loved traditional Southern cooking. What's not to like? It's fantastic. There's also a barbecue place and a pizza place in Charlotte that I will visit the next time I'm there. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um. But it it isn't really good for you. I mean, it's like Mexi- ah, Mexican food. <laughs> Who asked you? Your your cardiologist. <laughs> oh. Oh, well, he should shut up. What or she. You, what are you going to do? Uh, Rich in Salt Lake City points out, uh, Utah's the skinniest, fittest. How can that be? Utah has at least three chains of drive through only soda shacks with locations all over. They sell sodas along with ginormous brownies, Rice Krispie treats, etc. So eat sugar and chase it with more sugar. Boy, my experience in Utah is a very fit state. Very fit state. Mm-hmm. My buddy who lives there, that's just, uh, I don't know if it's the Mormon culture or what, but very fit. And then uh, Rich, for good measure, throws in a comment on our dinner table events conversation uh, about conversations with the family. And he said the following four questions. We Everybody answers these every day. What was a bad thing that happened today? What was a good thing that happened today? How did you help someone? Mm. What is something you learned today? Mm, that's a good one. That is a good one. Speaking of culture, family culture, man, that's uh, that's much, much more powerful than, than the conversation itself, obviously. Sure. Uh, so thanks for the comments. Dinner table events. That's right, Mitt. Mitt's from Utah, and Look, Mitt is what? He's fit, fit. Very fit. Fit Mitt. We got hooked on charades recently at our dinner table. Oh. Can't stop with the charades. And every time I think of it, I think about Elton John's new book in which he talks about how he was at a party where everybody was drunk and Bob Dylan couldn't catch on to the whole syllable thing in charades, <laughs> which I find one of the most hilarious things I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Funny guy who won ever. the Nobel Prize in literature right. didn't get the syllables part of it. Yeah, what's that now? <laughs> <laughs> Three syllables, a weapon of war. Uh, tank? <laughs> no, three syllables, Bob. Warship. <laughs> no, no! No, three! Tommy. Dang it! Why weren't iPhones around then? So, but somebody could have an iPhone out and get a video of a young Elton John and a young Bob Dylan drunkenly playing his charade. Oh, Come on, my now. God. You talk about a video you'd like to see. <laughs> oh, by the way, I don't know your kids well, but I think I know them well enough to tell you. Start calling it charades. Well, there you and go. see how they react. <laughs> Uh, boy, so the, 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 the teachers who uh, sex up their high school students, female teachers, uh, guy teachers should be shot. Female teachers, eh, you know, be, people have different views mm, on that. It's pretty sick. I don't need them to be shot, but... There's a huge difference between a 13, 14-year-old and an 18-year-old. I'll in this case, it's a 17-year-old a boy that was having sex with his bleach-blonde 63-year-old Ooh, high school teacher. Woof. And she has the same look as it's usually someone around their late thirties. Yes, that's pretty common thing. Starting to lose their youthful looks, and afraid they won't be the the hot chick they were in high school anymore. So they right. start having sex with high school kids. I guess. Exactly. Anyway, this woman looks like maybe she's been doing this her whole career and Yikes. just got caught. But she was forty six years older. Yikes! That's, that's 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 crazy. pretty weird. That's a pretty yeah, weird thing on. to do. Come on. Um, and then science tells us... Go hang says, out at your local college if you want to go the cougar Yeah, route. no kidding. You know, it, it, it's it's not healthy or good for you either way, but if you got that compulsion, th- th- go with a 19-year-old. Go find some young bartender. 
Exactly. There you go, says the young bartender. Huh, what now? (laughs) What to eat before making big decisions. This is science, people. Uh, Food. Recent study from a university said people on an empty stomach are much more likely to settle for smaller rewards sooner rather than larger rewards that require a bit of a wait. You're in uh, some sort of uh, negotiation or uh, whatever you're doing. Wow. So, well, yeah, it's like food. If you're hungry, you'll take not good food right now as opposed to waiting till there's a table, you know? But that's true for, like, your salary as well? Or Or would it be just like when you're at the grocery store and you just buy stupid crap when you're hungry? Is this kind of similar? But that extends to decisions. You're just in a hurry. You just want immediate... Get this over with. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. That's the UCLA study. It seems pathetic, but it rings true. Researchers found that people with lower serotonin levels were more likely to make decisions that didn't benefit them compared with those that, with normal serotonin levels. How do you get your serotonin level up fast? Meats and cheeses. Oh, yeah. Meats and cheeses. Oh, yeah. And they go so well together, too. If you're a vegan... I mean, you... if it was meat and jelly, for instance, that would, that would be less good than this. This if, is good news. If you're a vegetarian, you probably don't have the courage to ask your boss for a raise anyway, but if you did... Oh, boy. You would I'm eat so sorry pump, he said that. Pumpkin <laughs> seeds and tofu. I guess, Vegans even more so. You probably don't even have a job. Um, wow. Um, yeah, meats and cheeses. So there you go. We kid because we love. Before you go into another big decision-making thing, if you're a little hungry, just jam in some, uh, you know, uh, Slim Jims and those little sticks of cheese they sell at the convenience store. I tell you what, I go with salami because your breath is so off-putting. That's a weapon as well. You gain an advantage. Scent. <laughs> you gain an advantage because the other person wants to get away from you. Really emphasize the H's and all your oh, words. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> exactly. They're thinking, all right. All right. 150000 a year, whatever. Jeez. <laughs> Get away from me. Armstrong and Getty. You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show. New for 19. AMG merch. Our latest AMG logo tees, hoodies, and more. Buy them now at the Armstrong and Getty Superstore. Find it at armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty. This is the best of Armstrong and Getty. This idea of purity and you're never compromised and you're always politically woke and all that stuff you should get over that quickly the world the world is messy there are ambiguities people who do really good stuff have flaws one danger i see among young people particularly on college campuses malia and i talk about this but i do get a sense sometimes now among certain young people and this is accelerated by social media there is this sense sometimes of the way of me making change is to be as judgmental as possible about other people. And that's enough. Like if I tweet or hashtag about how you didn't do something right or used the word wrong verb or then I can sit back and feel pretty good about myself because, man, you see how woke I was? I called you out. <laughs> Let me get on TV, <laughs> watch my show, watch Gronish. Um, you know, that's not that's not activism. That that's not bringing about change. You know, if, 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 if all you're doing is casting stones, uh, you know, you're, you're probably not going to get that far. I actually said earlier. Obama. I actually said earlier. I said that guy couldn't get the nomination today. I think I'm wrong. I think he would be on the stage 
and he would pants the woke crowd, the Bettos, and maybe the Elizabeth Warrens and those people yes. so quickly, and the yeah. crowd would applaud, and they'd just like, they'd be done with that whole angle. And he'd make Joe Biden look like an ancient halfwit. Yeah. Well, he'd have that whole lane. Yeah. So, uh, hey, yeah. I really appreciated him saying that. I don't want to get past that too fast. That's really well said. That's a, a smart guy with a conscience who understands the difference between uh, Puritanism for self-gratification as opposed to having principles. Now, on the, the, uh, the, the crowd that can run for president, because Barack Obama cannot have a third term, um, yet you, you got uh, at the top of the list one Elizabeth Warren, at least for now. And there's this new uh, media thing out there. It's a newsletter or whatever called The Dispatch. And they hired this guy named David French from the uh, National Review. We've had him on the air before, and he's a smart guy. But for whatever reason, well, I kind of know the reason. I, he, I don't trust, trust the French. He went to Harvard Law School. He was at Harvard Law School at the time when Elizabeth Warren was the admissions director, I think. He's been following her career for decades, and he's been compiling a dossier on all the problems with Elizabeth Warren. And he's really just... Eager to take her on if she's the nominee Wait with all of her flaws. Now. And some of the things he's been talking about, and he, he, he regularly brings up the whole um, intersectionality pretending to be Indian thing right? Um, uh, that turned out to be phony in the, in the cookbook, which it turns out the, the recipe she put in the cookbook was a f- fake recipe. So, I mean, there's all, just all kinds of problems. with How out chow was the name of the book, Jack. <laughs> uh, the case that sums up Elizabeth Warren's flaws. This is from the Dispatcher, uh, David French's column uh, this week. For years, I've been telling everyone who listened that Warren's political biography is littered with landmines. Yes, she's known for inflating claims of Native American heritage, but did you also know that she, strangely enough, claimed to be the first nursing mother to take the bar exam in the state of New Jersey? And I've heard her say that a number of times Wow! in front of cheering crowds. A Boston Herald writer spoke to a New Jersey judicial official who said there was no way to verify that claim. Women have been taking the New Jersey bar exam since 1895, and the official was not aware their nursing habits were ever tracked and find it hard to believe that in all those gazillions of people over the last hundred-plus years that have done it, that uh, she's the only one that was ever nursing. Yeah. Uh, You combine that with... So she's got a couple of stories she'd been telling forever. I'm Native American. Um, Oh, and he gets into the why that was such a big deal at Harvard at the time. They had come under some sort of... Somebody wrote an article, or it was a study or whatever, that pointed out they got no people of color. Yeah, they were getting enormous They were just really under... and, and, And he said, at Harvard... Because he was at Harvard at the time, he said it was the only topic on campus. There were people in the in the quad every day, and people with signs, and people screaming at each other. It was such a hot topic, and that's when they brought on Elizabeth Warren, the Native American, mm-hmm. to help have the first woman of color. Blah blah blah. Right. So, this, but she's been claiming that forever. She's been claiming forever that she got fired from her teaching job because she was visibly pregnant, which turned out not to be true. Somebody found the contract and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then she's been claiming this that she uh, she was the first person to take the bar while uh, you know nursing. All those things are made-up stories just to inflate her personality. And that stuff works when you're running for Senate or you're just going around fundraising. But when you run for president, these things get elevated and they, they become a problem. Right. Right. So I believe all of that. I believe it's true. I believe it will really hurt her candidacy. I also believe this. I believe that children are the future. That's controversial stuff. Hmm. This from Bloomberg. Joe Biden risks a humiliating third or fourth place finish in Iowa early next year, according to nearly a dozen senior Democrats in the state 
who attribute the prospect to what they see as a poorly organized operation that has failed to engage with voters and party leaders. So he, Malarkey! So he'd finish behind Elizabeth, Bernie, and, and Buttigieg, perhaps. I can it's see that entirely happening. entirely possible. This idea is a bunch of malarkey. There are fewer than 100 days until the caucuses, which is the only reason I'm making these words come out of my mouth. We're actually getting close enough that it's worth just at least a quick check-in. If you look at the state polls, the early state polls, Biden is behind in virtually all of them. South Carolina, the exception. Um, But if he is second place in Iowa and third in New Hampshire, the whole electable thing collapses. Well, no, that's done. That's completely done, not just that's a bad sign. You're done, done. Yeah, yeah. Like he can't run anymore. So if he's already having fundraising problems, so. then, Then you have... A collapsing Biden, a stumbling, unelectable uh, Liz Warren. What will the Democrats do then, Michael? Whose laughter might we hear echoing through the land? I just just did that because it's the day before Halloween. (laughs) Ah, My neck started sweating again. The (laughs) wicked witch of Chappaqua there. Uh, We'll see. There are still days to go. But if you keep in mind that the Iowa caucuses, which aren't quite as caucusy as they used to be, but any primary, and especially a caucus, because it's like a night-long thing, draws the hardest core of the hardcore. Are the hardest core of the hardcore big Biden fans? No! They're fans of the radicals. Wow, Joe Biden. Second in one, maybe fourth in the other. Yikes! And I then, apologize for that. Then it's <laughs> President Pete. Well, it's super maybe. wide open at that point. Yeah. That'll be exciting. You know, it's funny. We have one or two people who keep writing us emails. You can mail email us anytime. Mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. Mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. Guy keeps bringing up, guys, you won't talk about it. I don't know why. I think it's going to be a brokered convention. Because we're on the take. What? A brokered convention. Mm. Well, I remember all the brokered convention talk yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, leading up to the Republican uh, convention last time around, and we fell into it. And then, no, 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 no. It's incredibly rare these days. It would be exciting. I agree. We got this text. If you leave your rain barrel filled up, you can leave your straight razor that you banged on the curb in there to get nice and rusty, which is a good tip. Why would it you do that? It makes a difference. So you think you're going to be in a, some sort of blade fight with corn pop. <laughs> and they had step. Those days, you used to remember the straight razor. You'd bang them on the curb, get them rusty, put them in a rain barrel, get them rusty. No, no, and that's to make sure. And corn pop was a bad dude. <laughs> that we know. That's stipulated, counselor. Um, that's so you wouldn't leave a nice, clean knife wound on your opponent, but it would be an ugly, infected gash. That's why Joe Biden. Would leave his straight razor out by the rain barrel and bang it on the curb. Which is it a, makes a difference. Well, rougher I, childhood I, than I had. Um, wow. I like the way he tells it with the tone of voice of nostalgia. Like it's remember when you used to collect box tops, so you could get a yo-yo. Remember I mean, when you used to play ball all day long with your buddies? It's the same tone of voice. Yeah, remember, remember when you used to get into rusty bent razor fights? <laughs> Irma Gerd, how can he be uh, failing in Iowa? 
Like it's a relatable, you know, we can all relate to it. Oh, yeah, those were the days, weren't they? Des Moines is the rusty knife fight capital of America. Oh, my God. The slightest disagreement in anywhere in Iowa. Only one way to solve it. You, th- you think the best eggs in town are at O'Leary's? I think it's at uh, Janet's Diner. Janet's Diner? I ought to gash you with my rusty bent blade. Where's and my chain? Gun? I'm going to wrap it around your head. Right. But I'm going to wrap this chain around your head. <laughs> the gutters in Iowa aren't for the rain. They're for the blood. <laughs> I mean, constant knife fighting. Everybody knows it. Armstrong and Getty. You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. This is the best of Armstrong and Getty. So I was thinking last night about how I want to present this in such a way that you your eyes don't glaze over and you don't just tune out because there's so many numbers in it and there's a lot of math involved and I just I guess I just want to uh, leave in your mind this this the simple idea of what's going on here the way they use census data to figure out income inequality income inequality is one of the hot topics in both parties really. But it's it's globally, whole, globally, yeah, yeah, sure, good, good point, and uh, and um, and you know, look how well the rich are doing, and how awful the poor are doing, and how unfair it is, and that right. sort of thing, and everybody's got a different idea of how much more the rich should be making than the poor. So I have an idea. I know that in an alternate life, you'd be a, a college professor, you're a teacher, you like teaching, you like history, that sort of thing, maybe high school. Uh, why don't you try to convey this complex idea to all of us, and then at the end of it, I will uh, turn in my student rating of you. <laughs> uh, so go ahead. You're doing pretty well so far. The, the long and short of it is this. Currently, is this going to be on the test? It should be on the test of every voter to understand what's going on here. And then we can disagree completely then at the end, but let's all work with the same set of numbers. Currently, you regularly hear the number, if you pay attention to the whole Bernie, Liz, AOC crowd, that the, and, and people use different percentages, but we'll go with this one here, uh, quintiles, which is breaking it down into 20% chunks. Right. The top 20% chunk in America makes 60 times as much as the bottom 20% chunk. 60 times as much. Wow. And so a lot of people are uh, are bothered with that and say that you shouldn't uh, you shouldn't do that. But that that and they come up with those numbers with with the census bureau data. What Phil Graham and some other guy were pointing out in the Wall Street Journal and Phil Graham is a former senator who used to be the chair of the Senate Finance Committee. Moderate, smart. Uh yeah, and and pretty well respected and uh, Oh yeah. He wants to make the point and thinks we should start using different numbers and we obviously should. Because the Census Bureau numbers do not count taxes as lost income. In other words, if I make a million dollars a year, they just count it as a million dollars. Not the fact that I actually only get to keep half of that. Holy so really, crap. really all I have, all I have, okay, it's hard to set this up to where you don't say, where you don't have a lot of people saying, I don't, I'm not crying tears for the millionaire. Right. Um, but, so, but the millionaire really has $500,000 right. in, in the real world. Right. Um, after all the state and federal taxes and a variety of other things. Actually, it's a little less than that if you include health care costs and a variety of other things. Whereas that bottom quintile, um, which happens to be households that earn less than $5,000 a year, that is not very much anywhere. That's a tight budget. I don't care where you live. Right. But the net result is that those households actually have somewhere closer to $50,000 because they get so much stuff back. Social services. Healthcare paid for, housing breaks, whatever it is. Right. Um, So your real-world money 
is fifty thousand. That person's real world money is is five hundred thousand dollars with the millionaire. Right. So it's a difference of ten, not. You know, whatever it would be before. So it's it's almost like they're rating your chance of freezing to death, but they're not counting parkas and hats and boots. They're not factoring those in. That's insane. And I'll get to the part that you could care about because again, when you use the example of a millionaire versus someone else, you know, most people are thinking I'm just you can't get me upset about the millionaire getting cheated here. Um, I realize a lot of people feel that way. Um, so we'll, yeah, but I, I, I would hope you just don't like being lied to. You don't appreciate being duped. Well, when I get to the middle class stuff, it's really interesting. But okay. I'll stay with the top 20% and the bottom 20%. Top 20%, the average household income is about three hundred grand. Bottom 20%, as I mentioned, is about five grand. That's 60 times. The top quintile is making 60 times as much as the bottom. Okay. But if you factor in all the taxes and everything paid by the top quintile, and then you factor in everything the bottom quintile gets... All the stuff we mentioned, the health care, the child service, all the different things you qualify for in, in, in income redistribution, it comes down to a difference of 3.8 times as much. Great, Scott. So while people on stage or politicians might tell you there's a difference of 60 times the income, it's a difference of 3.8. Right. Now, again, like I said earlier, you can still say, well, that's way out of whack, but that's a lot different than oh, 60. Come on. 3.8 is a lot different than 60. Right. It's a completely different I world. say... So, you know, let's 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 work with those numbers. This is what I found even the most interesting, though. You get away from the millionaires and the vast difference between, because most of us aren't in that very poor group or that very top group. How about the average middle-income household is only 32% better off than the average bottom quintile households? So you're in the middle, and you're only a third better, even though you make 13 times as much money. Two and a half times as many prime working age individuals in your household, and you work more than twice as many hours per week. It's that argument that you get it down to that bottom group, it actually pays to not work. It does right. you more harm than good to work. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah you lose too many benefits by, by working. That's and a money. message I think you could sell, because that's the middle class. You're working, if you're in the middle class, you're working way more. Your, your overall check at the end of the year is way more, but you're getting just a third more money than that lower group that's not working even close to the hours or have right. as many people working or anything. Yeah. That's what people should be upset about. Yeah. Well, the votes of those uh, on the lowest quintile are 100% toward whoever promises the most. And so it doesn't make any sense to emancipate them. You don't want to, in, in any regard, cure the problems you're griping about. Because then you'd lose all those voters. I don't have the salary number for that middle quintile. I wish I did. Um, probably it was in the article, and I left that out somehow in my notes. But again, the average, the middle quintile is only 32% better off than the bottom while earning 13 times as much money. That's yeah. how much money you're giving in taxes to government to send off to that bottom quintile. And in terms of just actually, you know, busting your ass. You have two and a half times as many prime working age individuals employed in your household, and you're working more than twice as many hours a week. The middle class can't be happy with that arrangement. It ain't fair. And that's not the millionaires and billionaires. Right. You know, I have a fair amount of sympathy for the idea that the top tenth of one percent gets the laws written in a way that benefits them, and that there could be much better tax fairness if they didn't own the government. I'm I'm down with that discussion, 
But yeah, most of the populist garbage you hear from uh, from Bernie and uh, Elizabeth is just wildly misleading. Yeah, well, and then that's the problem with that is the um the the guy who's making five hundred million dollars a year. Yeah, he's getting some tax breaks you don't get. But the lower end of that top quintile, the people that are making the household that makes two eighty or whatever it is, and you live in San Francisco Bay Area or someplace, you're not getting all kinds of cool, super cool tax breaks. Mm-hmm. You're just getting it stuck to you. Well, let me finish this. So, I found Professor Armstrong's class stimulating and interesting. He's a fine instructor, but he touched my genitals. Wow. There you go. He made me feel uncomfortable. You believe the victim. He used gendered language. He did he, not ask me my pronouns once. That's right. I, I told him, please do not use gendered language to Please to do not use gendered language to... To address everyone. And he, or, he just ignored me. But did anybody else know that when you're comparing <laughs> the, what, how much people money people have that you don't account for? You only get to keep half of much of it if you're an earner toward the, uh, anything above, geez, a couple hundred thousand dollars. You're keeping half of it. And then the bottom end actually ends up with more at the end of the year. Right. How does that not get factored into the conversation? It's too complicated. And I guess that if you're explaining, you're losing. So. Yeah, there are a handful of issues that y'all understand quite easily. Um, but the average voter, they're just, no, no. You just you either frighten the beast with fire and cause it to run in a certain direction, or you tempt it with food. And get, that's democracy. Well, if I'm a politician, I stay away from that top quintile because you just can't ever get any sympathy going for that. And, and focus on the middle that middle crowd that a lot of people are in that are not getting uh, as much as they should for as hard as they're working. And the idea that they should have their taxes lowered is immediately rejected because that would grow the deficit, and nobody ever, ever seriously talks about shrinking the federal government. Anyway. It's a little discouraging. You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty.